welcome to this episode of the Middle Market Growth Conversations podcast. I'm Katie Mulligan, Content Director for ACG's Media Group. This episode is sponsored by RSMUS, a leading audit, tax, and consulting firm dedicated to the middle market. Today, I'm joined by George Duvris, a partner in RSM's M&A tax practice. He also leads RSM's business acquisition and sale advice practice. George is here to walk us through why M&A tax is an important value creation lever for private equity firms. And we'll also get into some of the specific tax-related areas that deserve attention on both the buy and sell sides of a deal. George, thanks for joining me on the podcast. Thanks for having me, Katie. So I want to start off with a, a really broad question just to set up the discussion before we delve into some of the more specific areas. So George, at a very high level, can you talk about how M&A tax contributes to value creation for private equity and and why this is something that investors should be paying close attention to? Yeah, sure, Katie. So at a high level, M&A tax can contribute in a variety of ways as far as value creation is for private equity. So you know, one of the areas we look at is really maximizing the tax benefits of a particular structure that either private equity wants to have, or maybe retrofitting a structure based on the target that they're looking at. So entity choice, what tax attributes is the private equity group acquiring uh, when they're looking at a target? Understanding the investor mix uh, with respect to, you know, really reducing overall tax rate for the private equity group and, and their LPs. And so some of the ways we can do that is really try and identify value drivers like you know step up in tax basis or areas that can really lead to increasing returns uh, and really reducing overall cash tax burden at the at the target level. I mean based on everything you just said it it sounds like MA tax deserves the attention it's getting from private equity, but I, I wonder if there's a reason that it's such a growing area of focus now. And if something changed that's made M&A tax more attractive as a tool for creating value for firms. Yeah, well, the, the, the M&A environment's very competitive. And so private equity groups are, are looking for anything that they can get as far as finding different ways, uh, innovative ways to deliver value. And so one of the ways that I think private equity groups we've seen get more proactive with is around tax structuring and making sure that they're understanding you know, what the cash tax modeling may look like uh, when they acquire a business. Obviously, private equity groups and their investors and really all of us over the course of time want to pay as little amount of tax as possible. Um, and so that hasn't changed. You know, I think the volatility around tax legislation really coming from the Trump tax cuts back in 2017 really accelerated that process. While they tried to make the tax environment more streamlined and simpler, they actually made it more complicated. Uh, And so we've we've had over the course of the last four or five years, we've been coming into transactions much earlier uh, because our private equity clients are really looking at us to help get them on the on the right path from a tax perspective earlier in a process so that they're they're armed with that information as they're negotiating the transaction as they're structuring the transaction so you know that's what we found is that on, on both the buy and the sell side that tax is just becoming a more prominent piece of of the overall transaction process 
Mm-hmm. That's really helpful context. And, you know, from there, I want to get into each side of the negotiating table from the from a buy side perspective, George, what are some of the tax related things to consider when deciding how to structure an acquisition? You know, one, you really need to look at kind of what is available from a target perspective. But, you know, assuming that you have flexibility around structure, you know, you can look at this in a variety of ways. What, the, the key item is what kind of acquisition vehicle are you going to use? Are you going to use a, a pass-through entity uh, like an LLC, uh, or do you need to use a corporate entity for, you know, either the target's a corporation or you have a fund that's structured where uh, you have tax-exempt or foreign investors that that can't have income uh, flowing up to them in a, as opposed to a, a pass-through structure. Uh, but, you know, one of the areas that, you know, clients are looking at on the buy side is, you know, what are the benefits, what are the pros and cons of, of each of those two structures, either a pass-through structure or, or a uh, corporate structure? You know, one of the ways we can come in and assess, uh, you know, and help them make that decision is, you know, as an example, you know, if, if it's a corporate entity, you know, can they qualify for a Section 1202 gain exclusion um, on exit uh, and helping them structure around that? Uh, or, you know, if, if they want it to be a flow through, you know, how do you how do you structure it in a manner where you're one, you're ta- you're maximizing the step up in tax basis that you receive when you acquire the business, but also have that eye towards five years from now when you're trying to sell the business and making sure that you're going to be able to deliver a step up to the next buyer. Uh, so, you know, th- those are some of the areas that we look at and consider. And we we come in, like I mentioned before, we come in very early and assess that so that clients can kind of determine what their paths could be. You mentioned the the Section 1202 gain exclusion. Can you say more about what that is? Sure. So 1202 is a code section that was put in place about 30 years ago. Uh, and essentially, it was put in place to incentivize investment in certain small businesses, uh, corporate businesses. Typically, there's several kind of key criteria that investors need to meet in order to qualify for the exclusion. Uh, You need to hold the corporate stock for five years. Uh, When the stock was issued, the basis in the assets of the business need to be below $50 million, uh, needs to be in a, a certain type of business, typically, you know, any sort of manufacturing or service business, there are some excluded services. Uh, but, you know, assuming you can meet all that criteria, the benefit is, is quite substantial. You're eligible to exclude the gain on the sale of those of that corporate stock. The exclusion is the greater of two numbers. It's $10 million, and that's a kind of on a per investor basis, or 10 times your stock basis. So if you invest $2 million in, in corporate stock, it qualifies for 1202. You sell it five or six years down the road, you're able to exclude up to $20 million of gain. And again, that's on a per investor basis. So when you look at a private equity group, you would look up to uh, your LPs. And you know if you have 10 LPs, each of them would get a $10 million exclusion as long as they're not a, a corporate entity themselves. So, so pretty lucrative benefit uh, that a lot of our private equity groups are starting to see more of, uh, especially in the middle market. So we talked about some of the the structuring considerations. Are there other tax attributes that your buy side clients tend to focus on during a deal? Yeah. So I think the 
the biggest attribute that buyers will typically look at is are they able to step up the tax basis of their of the assets acquired uh, in order to get an amortization deduction over time. So uh, in a in a transaction where a buyer is able to get a tax basis step up, you know, to use an example here, if you if you buy a, a business and you pay a premium of $15 million, under the tax rules, you're able to take that $15 million and amortize it over 15 years. So the the buyer would able would be able to get a one million dollar amortization deduction annually that they can use to offset against operating income. So buyers like to uh, do they do a lot of analysis. They ask us to do that. We're able to analyze what the tax savings would be uh, under certain uh, purchase price scenarios, and then set discount rates and present values to to determine what that might be worth. And they use that in their in their modeling internally. Uh, so that's the that's the typically the biggest attribute that we'll see buyers look at at a, at a lower level. If you're acquiring a corporation, corporations may have uh, what's called net operating losses, and buyers are essentially inherit those net operating losses. The ability to utilize those losses really really depend on valuation and rather complex utilization calculation. But sometimes you'll see buyers look to, if they think they're going to be able to utilize those losses, you'll see them assign value to that as well. How do buyers assess value for a possible stepped up tax basis? Yeah. So Katie, they'll, they'll typically try to identify how much the step up in tax basis is. So they'll, they'll compare their purchase price to the tax basis to the assets being acquired. Uh, and once they're able to determine what that step up looks like, uh, you know, using kind of present value and discount rates, uh, they're able to, you know, assign a, a tax shield and uh, the present value of that tax shield. Obviously with a tax shield that's less tax going out the door, that's more cash in the business and they can use that to reinvest and grow the business. So typically the way they model it is they'll have us come in, do an analysis and then they can, they can utilize that as they do their internal modeling. And you've mentioned a few times, George, working with clients very early to look at these tax attributes and some of the structuring questions. When is the right stage in the deal to start delving into these tax-related considerations? When, when is early? Yeah, so the best practice with our clients is typically you know, prior to even signing a letter of intent. Uh, so, you know, we, we always welcome our clients calling us even a couple of weeks before letting us know that, hey, I'm looking at a business. Here's some information. Do I have a, is there a step up available here? Is there, you know, is there 1202 available here? Uh, and so we're able to have those preliminary conversations with really limited information. So we can really just got, dive into just the overall theory of what are they looking at? And you know what paths they have to uh, to explore as they as, as they go further along. So we always welcome our clients to call you know well before they engage us for diligence or any other kind of substantive analysis uh, to identify structuring. And so with a lot of our clients, they're calling me very early to say you know hey you know we're a few weeks out, but here's what I'm looking at. I'm looking at an S corp. You know how how can we get a step up here? And, and, you know, we can have those conversations and, and we're often able to identify possible obstacles very early in the process. And so that just gives them more time 
to head off those obstacles and, and, and find a way around them if possible. And switching gears and looking through a sell side lens, how might the chosen structure affect the tax outcome as a private equity firm exits a portfolio company? So now you have this structure that you put into place when you acquired the business in the first place, and now you're looking at exit. And you know this is where some of the structuring that was done on the buy side would potentially bear some fruit on the sell side in two areas. One, if you have a, a corporate portfolio company, you know, looking, looking at whether we have, you know, we talked about section 1202 earlier as an example. Uh, but, but I think at a higher level, just making sure that we understand what's the proper exit structure for a particular portfolio company. And so the conversations usually start again, prior to going to market, the conversation will start with getting a call. Client tells us, Hey, we're looking to, we're looking to market X, Y, Z, you know, let's talk about what the right structure is on the way out. And so if it's a corporation, it's pretty easy. You say, you got to sell the stock in a corporate. But we also help with helping them model out the gain, model out the implications of, of a possible sale. And, you know, a couple of examples where we've, we've had clients that brought us in pretty early and we helped identify a 1202, a section 1202 opportunity that they didn't even realize they had. Um, and so it drastically changed the way they modeled the exit proceeds and the exit scenario, and and really, you know, were able to deliver more value to to their LPs. They didn't realize that they were going to deliver. So, obviously, happy client, happy investors. And you know, if you don't have a corporate entity, if you're looking at a flow through, you know, there you're talking about, you know, trying to model out what a step up might look look like to a, a potential buyer. Uh, how do you minimize? areas of that could create tax like depreciation recapture or other implications of sale that we can help head off. Uh, we also like to put on our buy side hat so they understand how the buy side team is going to be looking at various attributes and what kind of value are they going to assign um, or possibly assign. So we can help be a, kind of a sounding board for our clients in that regard as well. Mm -hmm. And you mentioned that Clients are approaching you prior to going to market for for these sell side services. Um, I'm interested to know whether you've seen growing interest in in this area. I know in across the market, sell side services um, in general have been growing in popularity. Have you seen that for tax as well? We have, and and so it's been a great growth area for us in our practice, uh, and and really it's in those areas like modeling and you know determining the proper structure helping mitigate if there are any issues that need to be mitigated prior to going to market, helping, helping clients kind of get their uh, tax profile ready for a sale process. And so uh, we've seen a substantial growth uh, in that area. And, and really it, it's part and parcel with the wider acceptance of sell-side financial due diligence and sell-side quality of earnings, which you know, as in this competitive market space, it's almost expected to have a, a sell side quality of earnings um, as a starting point for for the overall transaction process. So, but yeah, we've we've definitely seen the benefits of that wider acceptance and employing sell side services. And I know everyone right now is is really closely watching the tax discussions happening at the federal level. I'm curious whether any of the the tax proposals coming out of Washington have provisions that 
change or affect anything that we've been talking about today if they were to pass into law? Yeah, so the current tax legislation, you know, obviously in quite a bit of flux, uh, but there are some, I'd say mostly bad provisions, uh, some some good, I, I guess, but, you know, I think there there is going to be some impact. Uh, you know, we talked about Section 1202. There was one proposal where the Section 1202 benefit would be cut in half, although we are hearing that that might not make it to any final legislation. So we're hopeful on that. The corporate tax rates uh, are scheduled to go up. Individual tax rates are expected to go up. Uh, so obviously, when you're on the on the sell side and you're selling a business, you know you're you're going to pay more tax. If you're trying to market the value of a of a tax basis step up, you know there's going to be higher tax rates. So theoretically, that step up might be worth a little bit more in the hands of a buyer. But but um, you know that's kind of a, a minor consolation prize uh, for paying more tax on exit. The other main area for private equity that I know is of, of great interest is around carried interest and the treatment of carried interest. One provision that, uh, you know, currently it's a three-year hold on carried interest um, and they're looking to expand that to five years, uh, which would be, uh, which would obviously cause some bad tax answers around the realization of those carried interests. So, uh, you know, there's quite a bit out there. There's a lot uh, that needs to be hashed out and negotiated and you know we're we're keeping on it. We have contacts in Washington. We're always talking with our clients about what's coming up, uh, trying to sort through a lot of the noise you hear on TV. Uh, but yeah, no, there's a lot out there that could that could change some of what we talked about today. And I guess my last question, you know, as as we wrap up here, is there anything you'd like to add for listeners or key points from the conversation that you'd want them? to leave with as they they take out their airpods and and turn off the podcast to me the the if there was three things that i i would hope that people take away from the conversation it's really you know the the, the biggest item is you know it's never too early to start the tax planning process whether you're on the buy side whether you're on the sell side it's important to cover off on you know proper exit or, or buy structure uh, assessing attributes, discussing management rollover, making sure that all those items are addressed well in advance uh, of, of the transaction coming to a head. Having those conversations early on uh, just makes for smoother transactions. Uh, I'd say that understanding that you know, M&A tax is not just a defense uh, you know, in, in, in trying to survive the diligence process, but it can also be used as a Kind of an offensive tool around value creation um, in some of the areas that we've talked about, like assessing structure, helping find 1202 opportunities, helping find other types of credits and incentives where we can be useful. Uh, and then the third, I'd say, is really around making sure that we're having conversations now around the upcoming tax legislation, what it means for you, what it means for your portfolio companies, uh, and how we can help navigate that. I'd say the, the, the more we know and the more we're brought in, the better we're able to advise and, and, and get people that kind of tap at that value that, that's out there for our clients. Well, really appreciate you coming on the podcast today, George. I think this is super helpful information and know it'll be well-received by our audience. So thanks so much for joining us. Thank you, Katie. It was a pleasure. 
Thanks for listening to this episode of Middle Market Growth Conversations. If you haven't yet, please subscribe to the podcast in Apple Podcasts or on Spotify to make sure you never miss an episode. And if you liked what you heard today, please give us a rating and write a review. It really does go a long way in helping other listeners find out about us. This podcast is produced by the Association for Corporate Growth, the largest membership association for middle market M&A and corporate growth professionals. We host networking events across the world. We publish magazines and special reports and much, much more. Learn more about the benefits of membership at acg.org and consider joining us as a member. Last thing, if there is a topic you want to hear us talk about on this podcast, a guest you think would be great, or even if you just have some general feedback you want to share, we would love to hear about it. Please send us a note to editor at acg.org. Thanks again for listening. Thanks again for listening.